is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering three conversations from episode 58, our review of recent and ongoing studies in Nash cirrhosis. Stephen Harrison starts this conversation by discussing the reasons for dedicating an episode to cirrhosis studies, focusing on their clinical importance and potential role in the shift to NITs. He then goes on to discuss the phase three reverse trial looking at beta-colic acid. Norman Schottenberg and Mazen Nureddin also comment on reverse. Along the way, the group discusses the optimal patient target for this kind of trial and ways to conceptualize the enormity of the task of driving a one fibrosis level reversal in a set of cirrhotic patients. Cirrhosis is an important issue for reasons ranging from severity of patient disease to unique position in the ongoing discussion about clinical endpoints. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion in our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion group. Stephen Harrison. I just want to shift gears and talk about galactin therapeutics and relook at some of the, the phase two data. Paul Budis is the first author. He's the CMO of galactin Yorn. You were on there and Eric Lowitz. This looked at the distribution of ASTALT ratio in a cohort of patients with NASH cirrhosis and portal hypertension and correlates with portal pressure. The take home point from this post hoc assessment of, and I think it's a post hoc assessment of the phase two. The ASTALT ratio above one is frequently seen in patients with compensated NASH cirrhosis and portal hypertension. We know that. That's well known when you have an ASTALT that is equivalent to each other. We know the odds ratio for advanced fibrosis is nine. This is well documented. What's new, or, or maybe this kind of sheds more light on this, is the ASTALT ratio is strongly correlated with HVPG and the take-home message from this particular poster was that this ratio could help physicians to suspect cirrhosis in patients with NAFLD. And when it's present, the ratio provides a simple non-invasive tool to estimate the degree of portal hypertension. This actually was quite fascinating to me because I did not know the second part. This ratio kind of correlated with HVPG. I think this might actually be quite helpful in identifying patients for clinical trials down the road. What what do you think, Jorn? Yeah, thanks for pulling that abstract up, Stephen. It came out of a quick discussion we had and, and is, in fact, uh, reflects the phase two data. You know, the Doritas quotient has been around for some time, and I commented on it in the previous trial you presented, so that there's nothing new here that with increasing cirrhosis, you get increase in AST, decrease in ALT, and that's how it flips. We're not so accommodated to HVPG measurements in clinical practice or clinical trials because we just haven't been doing them so often. They're tricky. They're variable. It depends on the same centers, you need a good setup. I think in this very well-performed phase two trial, it was very homogeneously. And there you could see that it correlated close to the factors we know and we normally look at for patients with cirrhosis. You know, it was a quick, small analysis, but well-characterized data set. So I think that was good to see it as a poster. Yeah, I do too. Any any additional comments from this? Yeah, one? I, I just want to agree with that 100%. And I want to emphasize on what Jerome said in this, is the galactin as well as the semtizumab studies, any secondary data for them will be probably the last we see with HVPG correlation in clinical trials, not because it's not good, it's fantastic. Uh, it's just because of the difficulty. So any secondary data, they're very valuable. And those trials were done in a very good fashion. I mean, I know the galactic reading was done by Dr. Garcia Tsao. I don't remember who read this in this I would imagine it will be her. So any data come out from these two with HVPGs are, are fantastic. I think it was Jaime Bosch actually that read. Yeah, either one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
The, the last abstract was a late breaker poster number eight. It was Peg Belferman and patients with Nash and compensated cirrhosis results from the Valkin 2 study. Peg Belferman is an FGF21 analog, and we know that FGF21 is currently a hot mechanism in the field of Nash and is currently being studied also in cirrhosis. And so we know uh, Peg Belferman from its early days in phase two that was previously published. Was it in Lancet? The phase two was published in, if I recall. Correct. And, and so there was this long pause while BMS enrolled uh, Valkin 1 in F3 patients and then Valkin 2 in well-compensated F4 patients. So the results of that are out. This is what was presented in late-breaker poster form. Phase 2B randomized multicenter placebo-controlled study conducted at sites in the U.S. and Japan, 154 patients with histologically confirmed NASH in F4. The primary outcome, here it is, guys, another histopathologic outcome, greater than or equal to one-point improvement in fibrosis. And three different doses of drug were studied, all sub-Q weekly, 10, 20, and 40, versus placebo for 48 weeks, so one, uh, roughly one year of treatment with a liver biopsy at the end. And what we see was that Peg Belferman was safe and well-tolerated, but really no improvement in fibrosis relative to placebo. There was improvement in steatosis, inflammation, and fibrosis as suggested by non-invasive tests, but we did not see improvement histopathologically. There was a little bit closer look at MR elastography, which was done in this trial. And if you look at those patients who had a relative 15% or greater reduction in liver stiffness as measured by MR elastography, we see that almost 45% of the 40 milligram once weekly dose achieved, 45% of the patients achieved that measure of 15% relative reduction compared to placebo at 21.2. And there was a dose-response relationship here. It was 11% improvement for 10 milligram, 32% improvement for 20, and then the 45% for the 40 milligram dose. So maybe a little bit of a disconnect between some of the NITs and the histopathology that was performed. We do not have AI digital pathology, fully quantitative assessment of collagen, at least as presented in poster form to my knowledge. But I open that up for Mazen or Yorn or Rod Luis for comment. I can start since I started before Yorn and I want to borrow his energy talking about NITs. And as I said, their primary endpoint was going from DC to Los Angeles, although we think it's going from DC to New York only. And I do wonder if these NITs are showing us that signal that it's actually moving from DC to New York, but you're asking for way more than we can deliver on biopsy. And that's why I think histoindex and path AI are important things to look at. I do wonder if one day we will look at drugs that we stop their development and say, what if we kept going based on the new data we have? Meaning, fast forward NITs show that they correlate, they already showing they correlate with the outcome worsening lead to worsening, but their improvement lead to improvement in fibrosis stage and their improvement lead to improvement in outcome. We're already seeing the signal here and I do wonder if one day we say that one stage fibrosis improvement in psoriatic, we kept the drug, would, would it have worked? It's the right decision to stop this program at this stage. That's what they're doing, right? Stopping yeah. it. That's why you do randomized chronicle trials to see if it's going to work or not. And thanks to the patients that they put their livers and lives will do better. Good points, Mezen. You know, the point is we're looking at a number of static NITs here. The histology obviously obtained at two time points with a high placebo response. This was something peculiar in this trial. 12 to 39 patients, the placebo group achieved the endpoint, and that was more 
more than seen in any of the treatment drugs. The MRE changes, as Stephen highlighted, a little bit of a disconnect, small patient numbers. So bottom line, maybe not too much change. The one marker that's interesting to me here, and I'm looking at the poster, is in figure 4C, there's the Pro-C3. Now, Pro-C3 is an experimental marker. If you think of the pathophysiology, um, it's a little, you can say it's more dynamically, more pro-fibrogenic. And what you see in the high dose, it, in the very beginning, it turns down, if I can interpret the results that way, turns down fibrogenesis a little bit, but then goes back up to normal. So it looks like the drug can maintain its efficacy over time. And what I like about the Pro-C3, of course, you have uh, five or six uh, time points over the treatment course of those 48 weeks. And, and that's the clear advantage that you get to understand what happens during the trial, not just looking at the start and end. So I think that's why I like that particular data set in here. Let me just be pragmatic. So we talked a little bit about Peg Belferman, 48-week trial, what, three different doses, placebo, biopsy to get in, biopsy to get out, greater than or equal to one-stage improvement fibrosis. We talked about collectin there, looking at a non-invasive test as an endpoint, prevention of progression of varices. Thinking about this, whether you use histology or whether you go for an NIT, what I'm beginning to sense is we really want to try to target those patients that are super early on in cirrhosis before they develop portal hypertensive complications. Because I think that's a different beast. Hemodynamically, it's a different patient. How much can we really move scar tissue? I think I would like to see that we can move scar tissue in a very early, well-compensated cirrhotic first before we try to attempt that in a mixed bag of patients, some that have portal hypertension, some that don't. And quite frankly, I think we learned that from the Galactin trial. You aren't, if you had to design the ideal, well-compensated cirrhotic trial, how would you do it? I'm speaking in reference to, would you require a biopsy to get in or would you go non-invasive? How long would you mandate a trial needed to last? 12 weeks, 12 months, 18 months, two years. Would you go at a biopsy endpoint or would you go for an NIT? I think these are just some very simple principles that probably are worthwhile with Mason here, you here, me here, just to talk about. Yeah, great points. Based on what we've seen, I would say I would not do a biopsy-controlled histological endpoint trial. I would want to do an NIT-driven trial, potentially looking at clinical outcomes, but that's maybe not optimal in that very early population. Prevention of varices is an attractive, but also not straightforward endpoint. So NITs, we've discussed MRE changes a lot, and there is good evidence linking MRE changes to improvement, prevention of endpoints, but also increases to endpoints. So I think that's the best data set we have, and I, and I would probably want to try for that. You can discuss and make a case that you want to want to get a baseline biopsy to show the histology, but then in the end, I wouldn't base it on changes on histology as an outcome. I will take an approach a little bit more conservative because I want to be in the middle between the NITs I love and I push for and the regulators' point of view. And I really want to give them a credit. In terms of baseline enrollment, I just want to mention that they were part of the NASH forum paper that was written and defined inclusion criteria for cirrhotics. Neuron, to your point, there is a biopsy in it, but there's a non-biopsy part which goes into 1A and 1B, and 1B was strong enough, and part of it was also not based on biopsy. It was not based on NITs, but was based on things that we know, nodular liver, lower platelet, and spleen, which we all have confidence in that the patient's product. So the regulators are moving toward that step in terms of not needing biopsy for inclusion in cirrhotics clinical trials. So I'll give them a credit there. I honestly will also take the non-development of varices as an acceptable 
well immediate next step. The reason why, because between the Stellars and the Simtizumab trials, Simtizumab was probably enriched with sicker patients that 20% developed decompensation within 20 years, and we know a lot of them were cryptogenic. They had more probably thicker septas and more collagen. The Stellar data was less than that, about 15%, and and probably slightly longer time or like maybe the same time. So it will still take us a long time to develop complication, and that's why I think development of varices is an acceptable endpoint for me. I'm not sure where's their position in terms of worsening of MEL score. I do like that as well as immediate next step. Nevertheless, I totally agree with you that in the future, we need to know how much improvement in MRE is correlating one-step improvement in fibrosis on biopsy and what that correlates to outcome. And I think that is the future and the way to go. Yeah, I think that's probably generally true, whether we're talking about cirrhosis or not, if I catch the thread of the last three weeks. I have a question for you, gents, because you were around when these things were designed, and I'm combining my lack of strong historic knowledge of NASH with my high school science classes. But where I wind up is it feels almost as if some of these trials were designed more to get a statistical result than with a focus on what do you actually have to do for the patient. Things felt like that to me a couple of years ago. People were desperate to try to get a one-level reduction of fibrosis. How do we get one-level reduction of fibrosis on biopsy? How do we do it? How do we do it? How do we do it? And I'm listening to this conversation. It feels like a more holistic, patient-sensitive, if you will, and using more tools to figure out, so where do we want to, what do we want to do? Where do we want to get to? I think that's accurate. I mean, when these trials were designed, and I maybe would exclude uh, galactin here with belopectin because I think there was a lot of thought given to the results of the phase two trial and the post hoc analysis that showed that there was a subset of patients that potentially did derive a benefit. And uh, a lot of thought was put into, if that's the case, how would we design a trial to clarify that point and unmask this heretofore unresolved issue of can the drug prevent the development of varices. Prior to that, we all wanted to do something for cirrhotics because when we see these people in clinic, there's not a lot we have to offer them. And we know that they're at high risk of disease progression and liver cancer. And so we want to do whatever we can to try to get a drug that, that works in this patient population. And the first way to do that was to show regression of fibrosis. As we've kind of matured the field a little bit, and we have non-invasive tests that are linking to outcome measures such as MR elastography. And we also are beginning to understand that, hey, just halting disease. You know, if you're a well-compensated cirrhotic, like people that were enrolled in reverse, most of those people probably don't even know they have cirrhosis. They're walking and talking and living a normal life. And I don't know how many times Jorn and Mazda and myself see people and we tell them they're cirrhotic and they have this this look of shock on their face. Like, what do you mean I have cirrhosis? I feel fine, doc. I'm, I'm not yellow. I'm not I don't look like the Michelin man. I'm, I'm good. But if we could halt the disease there and they could live 20 years with that same quality of life without developing liver cancer, we'd be fine with that. We'd be happy with that. And we don't have that yet as an endpoint. So that's another thing to, to contemplate. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next Wednesday, December 1st, with our next episode, in which we review last month's landmark consensus paper on the global NAFLD epidemic with lead author Jeff Lazarus. If you want to join the live audience Monday, November 29th at 3.15 p.m. Eastern U.S. time, email surflive, that's S-U-R-F-L-I-V-E, at surfingnash.com with a request, and we will send back a link 
link to serve as your admission ticket. I hope you'll join us then. Until then, stay safe. If you're in the States, have a happy Thanksgiving and count your blessings. And we'll see you all on the podcast next week. Thank you.